This is Leaders Who Scale, and I'm Jeff Siegel. I've worked with thousands of companies over the years, and I'm fascinated by seeing how many of them grow and scale. Join me as we learn from the leaders of growing companies and share that knowledge. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class accounting, advisory, and QuickBooks and Acumatica Cloud ERP services. Today's guest is a security specialist, an experienced leader and entrepreneur, he started out in his company as a part-time employee, and now he's worked his way up to 60 employees. He operates his business in three locations, the owner and operator of Signal 88 Security, and those locations are in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri. And I want to welcome Mike Lowry. Thank you for having me, sir. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you um, coming on and, and sharing some of the uh things you do to scale your business. Um, I look forward to talking about it. Awesome. Uh, so before we get into the, some of these um, questions I have that I'd love to learn um, from you, can you just kind of talk about what Signal 88 Security does? Yeah, so we are a security franchise, um, soon to be actually Signal, or in the middle of a rebrand actually right now, so soon we'll be Signal Security. Um, but we're a, we're a security franchise, and when I say security, not the most people think of as far as cameras, alarms, we do physical security. So um, security guards, whether that be roving patrol services, on-site security, our clientele range anywhere from apartment communities, HOAs, commercial shopping centers, healthcare facilities, education facilities, event venues, anywhere you think that there's a actual uh, in-person security presence needed. Okay. Did you actually, are they actually armed security in some We have case? armed and unarmed. So oh, okay. it all depends yeah. on the job type and then the level of certification of the officer. Because um, each state we operate, it has different um, licensing requirements and everything. Everything's regulated by the states in each state. All right. Well, that's, no, that's awesome. So I know you've gone, like I mentioned earlier, from part-time, now you've got 60 employees. Um, and I assume contractors at times, depending on different venues uh, or not you know, we, we use a lot of lot law enforcement contractors for certain contracts okay. um, that'd be the only contractors the rest of that would be regular employees okay so i always like to ask right away so what is the the most challenging aspect of scaling your business um for us i mean i think it's a lot of people this day and age especially as people um, just comes down to having the right people, especially in our industry. It's so flooded with people that actually work in the industry, but we set a higher standard that just because you have a license, have experience, doesn't mean you're the right person you know, to meet the core values and everything. So I think it's a combination of the, having the right people. And that starts with the entry level employee all the way up to the top management, you know, and then also it's more important as we get higher up in the rank structure, having those um, managers be the right people. And not just the right people, but it being the right seats and um, also having, I'd say, the right processes. We, you know, we've evolved those over the years, all our processes and procedures, and we change them as we've learned and grown over mm-hmm. the years to adapt and do things now that five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, we wish we would have had in our minds to do. Now we sure. kick ourselves and wonder why we weren't doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Makes so, so much sense. Why we didn't do that three years ago. Yeah. Okay. 
have you seen a, lo- a big shift in like processes and systems and people as you've as you've grown even from a yeah i mean employee? not just us but i mean the great thing about being part of a franchise is we have that huge support system so our processes from our home office um in omaha nebraska which is like our franchise group or kind of a corporate office in a way um they have they've grown their process and we get so much support from them so as they've evolved they've grown their processes and procedures which has made us grow ours and it's kind of it's been a great thing to grow through like i said especially being in the in this not just industry but with this company for so long i've got to see it from almost ground zero Mm -hmm. how many uh i know you're you have the three locations how many other franchises are out is well i shouldn't say locations that, that yeah so i believe right now we're always changing we're always growing i know we're in 42 states four countries i believe wow. they just signed germany as a master franchise mm-hmm. um and i believe right now operating because we have a bunch more that are still getting licensing and always growing the last number i saw i believe was 170 something actual op- like open locations that are actually operating well, that's a good size. Um, what's a typical, you know, is a typical owner operator when they? Yeah, when a lot of people are, um, most people are involved in the business. Um, you got a couple of people, I think there's a couple of locations that were, will kind of be behind the scenes a little more, but most people are heavily involved in the business. Um, the typical business for signal you start for your first location, if you're going to have multiple, even your first location, I mean, you're starting in the field, running in trolls at night doing sales in the daytime okay. until you get enough revenue to come in. So a lot of, a lot of long days in the early days. Yeah. So talk, actually talk about that. So there's always this concept, the, the buzzword you always hear is, you know, work on your business versus in your business. You know, what would, where are you today? And talk about that transition. Um, you know, what, what you went through with, uh, as you're growing this business. Cause I, like you mentioned, you were, you were, rowing doing rowing you know security at night and long days and so i'm not just talk about kind of that whole process and what you're doing today yeah i mean so kind of though when i when i look at work in your business or work on your business um it depends which location really um we're at really so mm-hmm. if i look at my tulsa market which is my longest market which is where i actually started as a t- um, part-time employee at definitely working um on the business um we have a lot more support. Way we're, we're we're a lot larger here, um, but then my newest location that that we have, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, which I have partners there. Luckily, that helps out a lot. But that's still more in the business because I'm more in the trenches on that one. Okay. So it, I have that unique thing where I'm kind of doing both, depending on what's location. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I I'm mean, still doing, I'm more involved in like the small, the newer locations, you know, but in as it grows, but it's also we've been it's been around so much long. Coordinator, we have plenty of supervisors, so it's yeah. not me doing as much daily stuff and thing. We have admin assistants, things of that nature. Versus the our newest one, Kansas City, that we opened up in August. With um, like, so look on that one, I have partners, so it's not as much in it, um, but it's more in the field kind of stuff. Not not really the patrols because it's in another state, but even just the daily stuff that we do is stuff that I don't do in my other business. I've been around for a while, so. It's definitely okay. a weird, I have that unique weird mixture of doing both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you, I assume you love doing both, right? I mean, is there a time where you like, I depends just what like day it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It depends what day it is. I, I way, I enjoy more on the business every day. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a lot more enjoyable, a little less stressful. So, right. What, what, um, 
what's the management team like, you know, that works with you? I, uh, is there managers at each obviously location? Do you guys meet or, you know, regularly? Do you do plan annually and quarterly? What, what's that look like as you're trying to scale? Yeah. So um, once again, that goes back to each location except a little differently. Um, Tulsa being our largest, we have exec director, we have an ops coordinator here, and then we have branch supervisors for throughout the company on different divisions. Um, and then on our Little Rock side, we have a director of operations and we have a partner relations manager that handles the client side. And then we have an ops coordinator in our Kansas City one. But um, we do, we follow the traction model. Um, so okay. we have level 10 meetings every Monday. Um, we have our scorecard we go over. We have our quarterly goals we set. Um, but we, have, we track that every month or every mm-hmm. Every week, um, down to every Monday, we, we have this call same time, no matter what's going on. We have those yeah. calls and um, this really allows us to connect. And I think the best thing about that is it, it allows us to track things through the week <clears throat> where we're not, you know, constantly just almost micromanaging, talking to each other about every little small thing. It allows us just to get on there and block out the rest of the world for an hour and just kind of nail down on everything and and hyper focus on our goals too for the year um and then we do quarterly uh, level 10 quarterly deals and then every year we also have our convention with our franchise group and all my supervisors all there that whole team also goes to convention and then um this year we started going a day early to spend extra time together outside of the convention material that we're learning and working together but we spend a whole day together there extra just to kind of plan our year out Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you mentioned the traction method because you know we do the same here. Um, and you know, tell me, did that? Did you start with the traction method when you you know? And, and actually, some people may not have heard of the traction method, um, the book Traction, and um, they also call it EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Is that something you started with when you? Um, started building your business or no um we honestly just started implementing the level 10 meetings probably about six months ago so it's okay um i was introduced to it by our ceo of our franchise group um he kind of brought it in we do a we attend a leadership um call with him um once it used to be our book club where we go over a book and now it's our we call it notable quotables but um used to be a car book club but every week we'd all be reading a book and every week we get on a call together throughout the whole country, everybody from all over the country, from owners to operations manager, everybody was invited along with the CEO of Signal 88. And we just get on and talk and he introduced traction to me. So I started researching more. And then as we started getting more locations, um, especially once I got Kansas City, I was getting pulled in so many different directions that I really needed a way to just kind of hammer it down to where I wasn't sitting there calling someone every week asking about, oh, hey, where are we on this? Where are we on that? We need sure. to really lock it down and organize it a lot better. So we implemented about six months ago. We don't have a um, an implementer at all yet. We've looked at a couple and we look at having someone come in, but I was one of those things like, we're going to probably screw this up for the first two or three months. So let's screw it up why it's not cost us money. Right. <laughs> We use, some, a, this, we use yeah. a program called 90.io, though. Uh, yeah, you know, we use the same program. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah, it's a great program. It's very low cost, actually. Low cost, and it kind of forces you to stay on the, the scheduled agenda, which is yep. set up for you in, in advance. You know, um, yeah, exactly. You know, we, we, we use it here, and I actually, one of the best parts of it, besides keeping you on track, 
um, is what, what I found personally was create, helping us create our core values. And we use that as we hire people. And I'd love to hear more about your staffing. But secondly, that accountability chart um, and then ranking how our employees fall within our core values. Because I'm not sure if you've read it. And, well, yeah, I'm sure you have attraction. But if an employee doesn't hit a couple of those uh, those core values, then they, they're toxic. They almost... You know, you either have to get them to that point or they're not right for the organization. So that that's kind of, for me, that's that's helped me a lot. Just that that part of tra- traction or EOS. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, we, we have this, uh, it, was, it, it was brought on around the same time that we were looking at traction on, through our franchise group when they were looking at it. Um, but we, we took our core values and we kind of put that in with the traction model and we, uh, we rank our officers and all the way up to managers we, we look at, we list our core values and we're doing their evals, especially we go, do they get it? Do they want it? Uh, they capacity. They have, yeah, capacity. Do they have capacity? Do they understand it? Do they want it actually? And we start ranking them either negative or positive or it's neutral. And yeah, you're, you know, if, if there's a negative, any of those core values, then we either need to fix that or they need to find employment somewhere else really. But first we need to look and see, hey, what can we do on our side to, get them to understand that did we do something wrong you know or did we not explain it right yeah no it's it's i think it's a great system and i think um from what i'm learning talking to leaders they all have their their systems you know that's a big one um there's another one that i've um read about you know heard heard uh, the speaker who talked about it was predictable success and i'm not sure if you've heard of that one but i'm not What's interesting about that, and it's kind of, a, a, they overlap, but they, two different ways to look at your business. You know, one is really how you, how do you run your business? How do you manage it? Does it help you kind of strategize? Uh, predictable success, success talks about the evolution of a business. And when do you need to bring in certain types of people at what point in it, like, you know, they start out with you've got like an early stage and you, you're almost trying, you're trying to get customers, you're trying to grow. And usually it's that owner operator who's kind of doing everything. They're just kind of like, hey, I got to get money in the door. And then you move up to this stage where they, it's um, where now you've got customers, you've got money coming in you and you, you're, you bring along another person who is kind of like, they call it the operator. Like, hey, what, what do you need done, owner? I'm going to just go and do it for you. So now you start growing, but at some point it's, they call it whitewater. As you move up the scale, um, systems break down, people are, you know, not doing all the same thing. They're, they're pretty much probably lacking systems. And that's what they call the whitewater period where you're, you're growing, but you just have no, no control. Uh, and it's rough. So you have to bring in, and be curious whether you have this type of a person, what they call the processor. Hey, I'm going to make sure we've got systems and contracts and you can't go out and, you know, um, and your business start security unless we have the contract and the first payment or something. And interesting concept um, because they all, the processor, the operator and the, the owner, the visionary don't always get along right the visionary is like hey i'm just going to grow and open up three more franchises and the process is going oh time out we we don't have the people in the systems and and then they stop butting heads so um 
I mean, that's yeah. kind of like a song. Well, in one, we kind of have that system where we, our franchise system, the whole, we, um, the group, our franchise group breaks it down into phases. So okay. like phase one business model, that's up until a certain amount of revenue, you are the owner operator. That's where you're in the truck. And then when you get to like phase two, that's when you're okay. Now you're, you're replacing yourself. You're no longer in the truck anymore. By the end of phase two, you're actually replacing your um, income. It's income replacement. You know that like hey, whatever job you had, or you know this is now replacing it. Phase three is that's when you start. And in each one of those phases, that's when we we look at bringing a different manual level. Okay, this is where you need an ops coordinator, which is kind of like our entry level overhead management position. And then different phases like, okay, now this phase this is where you have a director of operations. And then this phase you have an executive director. So that's the great thing about being part of the franchise model we're part of is they, they did a lot of groundwork for us. So <laughs> they had a lot yeah. of blueprints laid out for us, but all those weren't there, you know, like said 11 years, 10 years ago when I started with Singlet, because I started as a part-time officer um, for the, at the time owner of the calls at that time. And at the time, Signlink as a franchise has only been around for two and a half years. Okay. But so we had no processes, no procedures. I mean, very little stuff. Um, even three years into me being with the model, I mean, it looked like I was growing so fast. I actually was tapped by the franchise group to go help launch a um, another new franchise, wow. which this day and age, they have whole teams for that. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. you know, we had, we've had those phases and everything. And then, we necessarily don't have, you know, that, that, that operator or that, uh, that yeah, the processor and stuff like that. But we have run into the same problems, you know, where we have a sales guy who's out making sales. He wants to grow because, you know, his commission is based on that. But oh, then, yeah. you know, the operations team, they're like, oh, wait, we need people for this, you know. Or if the contract ends for whatever reason, we have people now, the, the operations people are telling the sales, you need to get more business because I have these people and I don't want to lay them off. So, we have those two groups that are usually going head to head and running into yeah. each other sometimes. So. Yeah. So there's actually um, with predictable success, they have the visionary, the operator, the processor, but there's like a fourth role called the synergist. And it's like, how do I make all this kind of work? <laughs> because these, you know, there's, these people are, uh, you know, not getting along or button heads or, you know, we're selling, but we can't, we don't have the staff and how do we, you know, get everything under control from all the personality types and all the roles yep. and, and, and they call that predictable success. It's kind of like at a curve, you know, the beginning is, you know, infancy um, and the, the right at the top is predictable, predictable success. The problem that a lot of companies have, a lot of big companies, probably not companies like us is they the processor takes over like the visionary is like, Hey, you know what? I'm done. I, I can't, you, there's too many controls. I, I can't even, you know, do what I need to do. And they leave. And then the company goes into what they call like a death spiral because the processes are all controlling the company. There's no vision anymore. There's, you know, maybe they're systemized to the max. Great. But there's no innovation anymore, you know? And, and, um, the, the trick is to stay in that predictable success phase. Sometimes you slip backwards, systems get out of control, you're growing and, you know, fix it and come back in. And, um, you know, I, I notice, um, you know, company, and, and actually I, a lot of it's, I think, natural, um, kind of a natural thing that happens to companies is if they're growing correctly. Like, like you said, you have managers and different levels of management. It, it's not like you, you knew like, hey, at this point, 
well actually part of it was at this point i move out of the truck and someone moves in so it's just kind of a process so. but we didn't have those like said you know three four years ago we didn't we we had it but we didn't have it would defined yeah a lot of learning curves to define okay when's the point that we bring in you know because as you know it's a big decision when you get to bring that overhead a new overhead position because we're all if you're in business at the end of the day unless you're in a nonprofit, you're in to make a profit you know and you have to look at it every time you bring an overhead hey that's eating your profit but if it can 10x that you know or even 5x it, your investment into that person seem better or free up your time you know I, I learned a long time or many long time ago really past three years i really started understanding and focusing on what is my time worth you know because before before i used to always hear that i'm like man that sounds so egotistic you know like what's oh my time's worth more than this and i need to focus on this but when you really look it's like okay what's my time worth because if i'm spending my time on these little things and instead i could spend my time on something that can skyrocket us even bigger you know then right. it's worth this investment so we we used to spend so much extra time looking at okay should we bring someone else in should we have this position what should we pay this position but now as the years with similarly as we've grown they've assisted us in this process because even though we're all in different markets and that, that's a little bit different um similarly across the board we're in the same industry we were at the same problems you know we're, we're dealing with the same issues so it was easy for them to put together that those phases of growth and say okay when you're here you should look at doing these positions when you have x amount of revenue in the dedicated security side you should have a site supervisor if you have this amount you should have a coordinator mm -hmm. uh, and then just grow from there and that's that's really helped evolve us over the past couple of years really and really helped us to get where we are now that's me owning multiple locations because yeah. our old system three years ago i would not be owning multiple more than three locations or two locations even yeah i was actually i was thinking as you were just talking i was thinking about that like how how has your own growth as a leader um gone you know since you first started i mean you if somebody told you like, you know, five or six years ago, here's where you'd be in five years, would you actually believe it? And just curious how your own progression. Yeah. Was, I mean, definitely in five or six years, I mean, I started, so I started in Signalate about 2011 as a okay. part-time officer and it was really just to, it was a part-time job to, after I got out of the military, um, well, after I got active duty side of the military to just go to, when I was going to school, to eventually go in criminal justice and get into law enforcement. And I slowly started growing a little bit of signal A as a part-time job. And I actually quit at one time and they asked me not to quit. They're like, what would it take? And I threw a number out there and they made me a supervisor. And I was like, oh, I'll see where this goes. But even then I didn't have any intention of growing it. But then I saw just the company growth. So I started growing with that. But then as that grew, I became more of a the leader because I, I had leadership in the past, but it came from the military, which is a 180 from business. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of things carry over, and mm -hmm. but I think it's more that work ethic and that problem solving parts carry over. But the parts that didn't carry over, like the visionary parts and the reading books, I never thought I'd read so many books. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I actually talk about me, that that bookshelf is very full of everything from John Maxwell to Jocko Williams to traction books mm -hmm. to just everything on leadership and time management. Um, but I mean, you, yeah, even five years ago, about five years ago, I was in the director of operations position for Tulsa, our Tulsa market. Um, and I still didn't see where we are now. And even three years ago, when I partnered with the current 
um, owner of Tulsa Signal at the time, and we partnered together and opened up Signal 88 of Little Rock, um, which is what I would eventually buy that, all of that, and um, Tulsa. I didn't even, even the, then when we opened that, when I first got my first taste of ownership, I didn't even see owning all, you know, these three locations now. And then as of this week, like we talked about when, um, before we started the call, we're yeah. in the middle of this week right now, signing for our fourth location. Um, that was me. Yeah. So, so I have three locations, one percent myself, and then um, I have one location, Kansas City, where I have partners on that. But yeah, even three years ago, I wouldn't see that there. It's definitely makes you wake up and involve as a leader. Like I said, I had plenty of leadership training and experience for the military, but it's yeah. only a handful of it does carry over, but nowhere near the stuff I've grown on. And it's the, I mean, my even my trips to my markets are different now. Now I listen to podcasts on the way because I'm always wanting to learn, you know, and yeah. grow and just, I feel I need to evolve every day. And I, and I feel you as a leader, you really need to do that for your people. Because if you're not evolving and the business is evolving, it's going to pass you. And then when they look to you for that visionary and that inspiration of where to go, you're going to be behind the curveball, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I think it's also on us as leaders to not just evolve ourselves, to evolve our team too. So I always look for our team to grow and how we can grow them. Um, our location in Fayetteville is actually close to our location in Little Rock. It's only a couple hours away. And I've actually, we're working to deal with our um, operations director down there and our sales manager down there, where we're going to give them a 5% of each of the company as an owner operator. It's a limited owner operating model where we give them 5% of the company um, to help run it. And that's another thing we're looking to do with our company to help grow our leaders, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I feel the more you can do that, the more you can continue to work on the business and not in it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. How do you promote a, with, with multiple locations and congratulations on the fourth one here that you're opening. How do you promote that culture that you're looking for, you know, um, across the board? Yeah. I mean, it, it starts with just start with our leaders, you know, and that goes down to those weekly calls, what we're looking for in those, you know, those week, um, convention when we go to our convention uh, we push heavy on our culture at our convention and mm-hmm. and our core values we push heavy on that so it, i think it starts from top down um from really making sure the people that are doing the hiring for each of our locations are emphasizing our, our culture that we want and our core values because they're not and they're not going to hire the right people and then once you have a bad hire and we we try to um, we try to get in a stage, it's, it gets hard sometimes, but we try to get in a stage where we follow a model of hire slow, fire fast. So <laughs> take your time hiring people until we get the right person. But if there's an issue with someone and we know there's no, you know, solution to it, like we've done everything we can for that person, then we mm-hmm. have to ways that we have to, because it's not ever personal, it's, you know, it, maybe you're just not the right fit for the company. Yeah. And we've had to do that with some upper level people, um, management positions over the years that they're great people, but just as the company evolved, they didn't evolve with the company. Yeah. Um, and so they were almost not in the, they started out in the right seat, but the seat got a little bigger. <laughs> so yeah. they didn't fit in the seat no more. So. Well, how difficult is finding in, a, in today's day and age, everybody has staff shortages. So yeah. I'm curious in your field, um, Obviously, it's security, you know, and there's some going to be some events where they have to be armed. Like, I'm just curious how how difficult it is even finding um, good staff. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we, we face the struggles like everybody else with just staffing in general. That's our first hurdle we have to get over. And then the second hurdle we have to face is our industry as a whole is, um, especially in Tulsa, not as much Little Rock and same thing in Kansas City, but our market as a whole is flooded with companies. So they were competing with, you know, so many other companies for the staffing. And then the third hurdle we have to face is it's so flooded with people in those markets that it's got a lot of people that aren't to the standard we want. Um, the license is, it's for industry is unfortunately scary, easy to get. <laughs> so it's got a lot of people we don't want, you know, but a lot yeah. of them, it's fine. They can hire them. But so we had to, we get a lot of people that will apply for us, got years of experience, have the license, the correct license, but then we look at it and we bring them in like, this is not the right fit. <laughs> you're right. not going to be your core values. You're just here for a job or you're here to be wild west. So, um, I mean, it just focused on, we try to hire based on our core values and character, right? Um, every once in a while, I'll still jump in and do an interview for our executive, for our directors or our main team. It's very mm-hmm. rare. I did one yesterday, actually. Um, but and I, I teach our managers the same thing. But even when I do interviews, or I teach them the same thing. Is we tell people like, "Hey, your experience is great, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for character. We're looking for work ethic, team players, because we can teach security over time if you have those. I can't teach someone to have good character. I can't teach someone to have work ethic. But I would say five years ago, six years ago. We were trying to hire based on, oh, you have experience, you have a license, oh, you, you're probably going to be perfect. And then we realized that was not what, what it meant. <laughs> yeah. Because they look good on paper doesn't mean anything. We needed to hire based on character of the person, then we can grow everything else. Do, do you go through a lot of, is there a big transition in, I don't know about, probably in the industry they might be. But... Um, I wish whole, we have a good retention rate. Um, when we get the right people, we lock them in. Um, okay. A lot of people use us as stepping stone to go into law enforcement. So we'll, we'll lose a lot of people to go in law enforcement, but it's not like short term run. Um, we track our numbers as one of our KPIs. So we have a lot of KPIs that we, okay. we follow. And one of our is retention. And last, I know our last number month number just came out. I believe in Tulsa, for example, and, and Little Rock, too. I don't know what Kansas City was. I haven't looked at that one yet. But um, our, I think our retention was around like 90%. Wow. So not too bad. I mean, it's just rotating a couple positions out here and there, you know. Um, when we get people that we like, they stay until either they either move. I mean, we have in Tulsa, like I said, we've been around like 11 years. We have one supervisor of eight years. We have another one's been about seven years. We have a couple of three years, four years. Um, our director of operations that's in Little Rock, he actually started in Tulsa. He was with us for about eight years, and then we needed an operations manager down there, so we promoted him down there, and he moved to Little Rock for us. So he's been okay. with the company the whole for about nine years now. So yeah. when we get the right people, um, they stay. Um, yeah. And then even the ones that don't stay, we look, if we can get someone for a up to a year, then that's good with us, you know, just because the retention on the market's different. People yeah. want to change stuff or they finish their degree because we get a lot of people that might be going to school, stuff like that, or like I said, are wanting to go to law enforcement. So we've had a lot of people transition to law enforcement. But Okay. What you had earlier, you mentioned that all the books you you read or have read. Is there a, do you have a favorite? Is there something that like you, um, you said, hey, you know. I just one that pops out as my true favorite, but um, I'm a suck for anything, John Maxwell. Um, what, right now I'm actually rereading the laws of leadership. Oh, okay. Yeah, right on, three times. Yep. <laughs> so, um, and then I have another one I'm reading called Rainmaker. It's, um, 
it's based on sales. Okay. About sales and everything. I usually, yeah. I'm usually between two books at once. Is um, you talk about sales even. Is that what what's the industry like as far as sales? Is it tough to get new customers or is it? Um, it's it's not. A lot, tough, of um, a lot of com- competition. That's really yeah. what it is. I mean, in our industry, there's a lot of people. So the apartment industry for us is what we call the low hanging fruit. It's probably the easiest to get for us because most apartment communities have a security patrol service, something like that. Sure. So it really on those is just getting in front of you. So the need's already there for those clientele. So then it's just getting in front of them and explaining why you're better than who they have, you know, what we can do better. Um, and we're not going to be the cheapest. We're not the most expensive. We're not the cheapest. So we don't really focus on the price. You know, we focus on what we can do to add value to them. Um, and one thing that helps us with um, sales and growth, I believe, is we don't lock anybody into contracts. Okay. Um, everything's ongoing. You can get out anytime with 30 days notice because we tell them we don't we don't want you to work with us just because you're in a contract. We want to earn your business every month. Mm-hmm. So, but it's it's always competition out there every year, and then especially when COVID hit, that hit a lot of our apartment communities pretty hard and that, that was our budget. It didn't hit our industry at first hard um, because we were getting a lot of COVID enforcement stuff going on, mm-hmm. but it hit the apartment industry where they had to cut a lot of budgets. We, we worked with some retails and that, that forced a lot of things down, um, did shutdowns and stuff. But as a whole, um, sales aren't too hard to get. It's just yeah. getting out there and showing why we're better than the competition. Yeah, did you see an increase with, you know, this whole nationwide, you know, defund <laughs> the police and, you know, what, what, what's been happening and just crime in general? Um, without getting political, because I'm not, I'm just, yep. just in general. Are you seeing an um, increase in more? Not just an increase now? on that, because um, a lot of the places leave, like Oklahoma and even Arkansas, they don't push for it as much. Um, Oklahoma is really pro law enforcement, so we they're not okay. really a big push for the defund act here. But mm-hmm. mainly just on the crime and just the, I think it goes back to um, not even the defund part that people are trying to do, but just the, the environment the law enforcement again they're so short staffed that that has caused us to have an increase because since they're so short staffed, their, their call responses are so much slower these days because they're so short staffed yeah. and. We, we're able to provide a quick call response um, to things. I mean, we still always revise people, you know, to, if the actual emergency call the police first, but just seem to, you know, suspicious activity calls, things like that, where our call response is so much faster than the police right now. Okay. Um, we average a nine minute call response. Wow. For an average police is 25 minutes for uh, calls we go on. So Amazing. You, you talk about some of the books you're reading. One of the ones when we talked about sales a second ago was, um, have you read the challenger sale? I've not. So that that's an interesting read. It talks about the different types of sales people and the ones that are the most effective and, and there's like four different types and the one that's the least effective. And it's interesting because I, I thought it was going to be the reverse, but the least effective salesperson is the one that's the rapport builder. The one that will sit in on the phone and just build a rapport with it, with a prospect or you're meeting with them and you're kind of building this you know um, experience you're sharing and oh do you do this i do that this is great yes and this is wonderful and they leave thinking oh this this person is gonna buy from me um 
he's that person's the least effective. The most effective one is what they call the challenger. The 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 salesperson who yeah they're, they're going to build up probably some rapport because that's how they you know people buy an emotion many times. But they're going to challenge the prospect with you know some real aha moments. Like have you have you really thought of this or this is what your competitors are doing that you're not doing and they're not, they're not afraid to do it, it not in an arrogant mo uh, way but just really challenge their um prospect and they're like the most effective salespeople. yeah so, that's kind of how we do ours um we we've always trying to make sure we walk that fine line where we don't feel like we're bashing our competitors but we yeah. go in there we just kind of get them to talk about what are they doing and then when we hear what they do it almost comes out naturally of Obviously, we're there bidding for a reason. We have the medium for a reason. There's something going on for a reason, you know, that they're opening up that job for a bid or they're, or they're at least interested in talking to you. So there's something behind the scenes usually. And usually when we're talking to them, we're doing that. They'll start by opening up of kind of what's wrong. And then what we do, we just kind of talk about how we do that differently, you know. Yeah. By saying, oh, they, you have paper reports? Well, we have digital reports. And so they have no – doesn't sound like you're – client has your current provider has any uh, accountability tools for you mm -hmm. so, and so yeah we start challenging their method but we like you said we don't do that we lick that fine line to where we don't want to come across that we are bashing or too arrogant right. but we're pointing out what we do better yeah versus just I trying to buddy because we're in the apartment industry you we do a lot of community events and it's all great you know i got a, you know a lot of people that i'm good terms with in like the apartment community especially that we just don't do business together because at the end of the day that just being friends with them or, you know, doing a lot of community events together and having a relationship wasn't the deal closer. Sure. Here's a question I got for you. And actually um, I, I haven't asked anyone else this question, but I just uh, thought about it. If, if the you, guinea pig. Hmm? you're the guinea pig. <laughs> so you're growing your your you're growing your business. You're scaling. You've got three friend locations. You, you're starting the fourth now. If somebody hypothetically walked in and said, you know, Mike, here's a million dollars. I want you to do something with this to grow your business. What would come to mind? Like, what would you do? You know, really, like, what would the vision be? Um, I mean, honestly. There's not much that we can do just with a huge capital influx into our business. It's it's not like we, we don't have products, you know. Um, we don't have products, so there's not really we do. Yeah, we can buy more vehicles, but we need more business for that. So, I mean, sure. I mean, outside of investing in marketing, so I'll say something like that, I would invest in more territories and more locations and okay. grow as a whole bigger, not just the one location, you know, but invest in more territories within signal eight and just grow business, you know, different businesses. Yeah. Um, our, our, um, we're looking at, you know, I've done a little bit of everything with, with signal eight, you know, we've started from, I've taken over and we started from scratch our Kansas city market. We've acquired that one from previous owners and done a lot of repairs on it and fixed it. Um, so now my next thing is also looking at just getting into diversifying and getting into different businesses. Yeah. That was going to be, um, Love to talk about you, just you, where you, where you've come from. But before that, what's the future hold for? Just kind of like you said, your business and where you think you, where you want to go with this whole thing. You know? Yeah. So I mean, we're we're on a trajectory path. We have about a each market so far. We have about a 
I think our last number we looked at was about a 20% growth each year. So in revenue, That's awesome. <laughs> we're going the right direction every year. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I just want to continue to grow that and really, I mean, if we didn't grow one one more penny right now, we'd be financially sound. When I mean, we were we're we're in a, a perfect place in life in each location. Um, Kansas City one could grow a little more, but even if it didn't, it it, it could pay some bills, you know, and everything. Mm-hmm. So, but I would really love to continue growing to more just to build our team and let them grow. Okay. Um, just because of the experience I got to do with that of growing and starting from just a part time employee to where I am now. Um, I just want to continue growing them to, so, I mean, cause the more I know we grow, the more opportunities we have, the more higher end positions that we have. So that way we have these people that are busting their tails for us in the field right now. I want to be able to have more opportunities for them because right now where we're at, we're limited to, unless we grow more, there's no more, or someone leaves, we have no more higher up positions, you know? So sure. I definitely love to see, um, each location double in size in the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned diversification. Is there some other industries or? Uh, yeah, um, I always look for, especially this day and age, recession-proof businesses. Um, that's what okay. I love about security because security is definitely a recession-proof business because when things are good, people need security to protect it. When things are bad, people need security to protect it. <laughs> right. So um, that's why COVID didn't. I mean, we we lost. We had a little dip in because of COVID because of a couple of stores shut down, but then we had some increases too at some points COVID because of mass enforcement, you know, so it didn't really affect us overall. We didn't have to lay anybody off. No one lost hours. We were able to work as business, you know, outside. It's a lot of hand sanitizer and some masks. <laughs> we're able to work as normal, but um, so I always look for a diversified business. I love the franchise model if it's okay. the right franchise model because why reinvent the wheel? If I'm not going to invent a product or come up with something new, I, there's no reason to me that I'm going to go out and just reinvent something completely different, you know? Yeah. Um, but, so that's why I love the franchise model for that aspect of it when it comes to business. So I'm definitely looking at one called J-Dog Junk Removal. Um, it's a great one. It's a veteran-owned one. They've had extreme growth over the years. I think they're over 200 locations. Wow. Um, and you have to either be a veteran or a veteran family member to be a part of it. It's a low um, cost buy-in. The royalties are pretty low. They max out at actually, they cap out at a certain amount. It's not a percentage like a lot of franchises are. Hmm. They're just on the discovery channel. I also look at anyone that um, that I can bounce off business off other current locations that we're working. Okay. So like we're big in the apartment community and commercial business. So if I have a junk remove company, I can work with a lot of the same clientele and kind oh. of relationships and everything because they're going to have clean outs and stuff like that. Yeah, you can create some stickiness with those clients, yeah. So, so just uh, tell me about really about yourself. Um, you mentioned military earlier. Just kind of where are you from the Oklahoma area? Like where'd you go to school? Just curious yep. where you're you back. So, uh, yeah, I was born um, in Oklahoma. I, I say born in Oklahoma and raised it overseas because I spent a lot of years overseas with the military. So I always say born in Oklahoma and raised overseas because that's where I really learned about life. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, born in Oklahoma, I graduated from local high school here at 17. I actually signed up for the army when in between my junior year and senior year, went did all my training. And then about two, about three weeks, I think it was after I graduated high school and my first deployment. So I didn't get very much of a break after high school. Wow. And it was from 2004 to about 2000, 
nine, I was in, or almost two out of 10 really, in between um, deployments all over between Iraq, Afghanistan, um, ended the active side as an instructor, a deployment, uh, what's called an OCT. Okay. Controller trainer, which is basically a deployment instructor. So we would put people to go overseas and through different training. Wow. And, and um, got out, um, was put in the reserves, um, thought I was going to be home for a little bit. And then they sent me back down to Fort Benning, Georgia to be a training NCO and a stateside mobilization. So I was like, oh, so much for home. But luckily, that's where I met my wife, actually. She was in the reserves too at the time. So I got to meet her there. So. Awesome. Um, and then came home in 2000, uh, late to early 2011 fully. I was still in the reserve up until 2018, actually. And um, I started going to school, and that's when I started with Sailor 8. I've been great ever since. And, and then, like I said, I got out of the military in 2018 just to, due to some previous injuries from overseas. Well, no, well, thank you for your service. I It's an amazing journey that you've you've been on um almost half of your life has been in the military it seems yep. <laughs> um and just kind of just uh, what kind of passions do you have what, what do you do outside of work um look for more work now <laughs> <laughs> don't we all no, uh, entrepreneurs? Um, yeah honestly i'm i'm always looking for something to outside of work when i'm not working i'm right now i'm having the mobile location open another one we're always looking to grow and do more you know so sure. i'm a little bit too involved in the business or too involved on the business so it's not really in the business but i'm so involved on the business now yeah. um but outside of that i mean just love to I, i'm not one of the guys who likes to i like to travel once in a while but really i um, spend time with family my son's heavily involved in uh, martial arts and everything uh, yeah. so I, I spend a lot of time helping him train and taking him to training he's got his first he wants to be a fighter he's got his first fight this weekend so well, how old how old your son uh, he's 18, so he's got his first amateur kickboxing fight later this wow. week. And so, um, actually, one of them has called me, helping him do some weight cutting today. And then, um, so I need him getting big, so then I have free advertisement, you know, for all my businesses. <laughs> I'll just he gets all over TV, I can just slap all my businesses all over for free. You know. on so, so, so he's an investment. So all the money I spend on his training is like a business investment. <laughs> so. Well, good, good luck. You got to get him in the business too at some point, right? Yeah, he's actually worked a couple of posts. He's he's been he's in school still, but he's worked a couple of overnight posts for us. So. And then my other, um, so he's my stepson, and I have two stepsons. Um, and my other stepson uh, actually works in the business. He's one of our supervisors. Okay, wow. But he started. I made him go through the the, the ringer. I mean, he started as a regular officer. He had to be interviewed by our our um, other team and our supervisors. Um, when he became supervisor, he had to be interviewed just for that. You know. Wow. We don't believe in, you know, giving any kind of special treatment just because who you are, who you know, kind of deal. You got to right. go to the same ringer and be held to the same standard. So he's been with us about, I think he just hit three years. Okay. Awesome. So it's become a family business and I think he has apparitions. And then now his wife, uh, who's pregnant, and she is our administration assistant. So we're slowly building into the family. <laughs> well, is, is your wife involved in the business too? My wife is not. No. Okay. All right. You probably want to keep it separate. Yeah. You know? So uh, I tried to get her to, when she was in, <laughs> she was not working for a while because um, just taking a break from everything, doing some health stuff, and tried to get her to come do a report. like, I see you now. I'm like, geez. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I try to keep that part separate, you know, because I'm one of those people, I, I, it's, it's that cliche, the work-life balance, but yeah, and, and I try to tell my employees too, you know, our managers, everybody's like, man, when you're, when you go home, 
unplugged. I mean, yeah, your, your phone might ring, you might have to deal with something, but if it's not ringing, just unplug and, you know, work, try to focus on home, you know, don't bring any work problems home. And then same thing though, in your work, I expect, hey, you have some personal stuff going home, just try to unplug and don't bring that to work, you know, keep us separate, so. Um, it is probably the worst one with that though, because when I'm at home, I'm always popping up my laptop, looking at our KPIs, wondering how we can do something different or better, or trying to do some research, something my wife's always like, you're always on your laptop. I'm like, <laughs> so I, I need to take my own advice on that one. That yeah, I it's, it's like kind of do as I do as I say, not as I do. Kind of do. <laughs> so. It's kind of like a, I hate to say it, it's like a disease for entrepreneurs. Yep. They're just constantly plugged in. Um, always wanted, yeah, my mind's always a hamster wheel. It's always want to grow. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a blessing. And it's a blessing, but I believe it's also a curse. You know, you, you have to find that happy medium in that or else you just go crazy. If yeah. all you think is, um, you know, work, work, work. Um, I think the last time I finally got to unplug, I truly unplugged. I took my son to Vegas to watch some for, uh, for watch some fights, um, UFC fights, and okay. I truly unplugged. I didn't take my laptop. It was the first trip I ever went that I didn't take my laptop. I mean, if I go to like see my family for Christmas, I take my laptop and do stuff. You know, it was the first trip I didn't take my laptop. I told everybody, it's like, unless someone's injured or hurt, don't call me. It was the first time. It, it, it was, it was, it was weird at first because like my phone's not ringing. It's weird, but it, it felt good at the end. I think you have to do that, even if you don't do it all the time. I think you have to do that as an owner, as a business. Yeah. So even even as a manager of the company, you have to unplug, and you have to allow your employees to unplug too. Yeah, you, you do. To. Also, they're going to get burnout. Um, burnouts, burnouts, just not an employee thing. It's a it's a business owner thing too, I believe. Yeah, no, it's true. I I I for years would open up my email, even on my phone, and now um, on weekends. But I've same thing. Tried. I don't bring. I don't open my laptop up anymore on a weekend, and um, I. Most of the time, we'll not look at my email on a weekend either. Um, just because I don't, it could wait till Monday, you know, yeah. unless, like you said, somebody's hurt or injured. Um, yeah. That's unfortunate for our business. It can happen a lot easier to our people. Yeah, that is so, true. That is that's true. why I can't, that's one thing I can never do is never just turn my phone completely off. Yeah. I mean, they can call exactly, let them call, but yeah. So, yeah, because, you know, as a, you know, in, in my business, we do outsourced accounting and QuickBooks consulting and, you know, a client could email you on a weekend. And first of all, if you reply, then they know you're available. Yep. So it's like, oh, I can email. That starts a chain reaction. Yeah. But secondly, you could ruin your weekend. Let's say it's a it's an email where somebody's not happy or it's something, you know, something that could wait till Monday, but you look at it on a weekend could could, could ruin your weekend, you know, um, in your relationships, right? Because now you're, you're upset and, you know, your significant other is like, what's going on? And it's just, uh, it's not a good thing. So, yeah. I mean, I also believe it's too, it's not just a weekend too, that it's something I learned a long time ago from um, someone that kind of, uh, the old owner who helped mentor me through this business a lot uh, was the, not all, even the weekday, not all of you respond right away. Yeah. And my mindset, I always want to respond right away if a client emails you because like, oh, I want to take care of them. I want to be the best, you know? But it's like, if you do that, they start to expect it. And then all of a sudden when you right. don't, because you're tied up with something else because you're growing, you don't respond right away and then they get upset. So I used to yeah. always the person would respond right away or always have my email pulled up with notifications on and ready to go. But now when I, I just check my email throughout the day, random times, and now instead of just checking, like, you said literally have it on the screen, you just pulled up. <laughs> 
Right. Someone respond, I'll respond right away. And people love that, but they expect, and if you don't do that all of a sudden, then you're changing what they expected. Right. Yeah. And, and what happens, I think, is the email ends up controlling your day because they just pop in, there's issues, there's someone that needs you to reply back. And next thing you know, you, you know, half a day's gone by and all you did is answer emails and you know, it just it becomes the control. Yeah. It's, it's better. Like you said, um, and I'm a, I do the same thing. I, it's hard for me not to, you know, answer emails too quick, but you know, I've heard from other people, Hey, just block out certain times of the day that you may look at emails and just shut it off other times, but it is difficult. And I haven't done that part yet, but one thing I've gotten better over the years is really leaving about my calendar, you know, and even I tell my team like, Hey, you can pop in my office because my tallest team is spoiled because they get me more because I live here. They have access to me more because that's it's the only office I actually have an office at. Okay. I don't have offices at since I don't live there. But even then, I tell them and I've gotten better over the like year of this is if you really need to talk to me about something really important, then put it on my do a calendar request and put it on my calendar. If not, okay. you pop in and say hi. Besides that, <laughs> it's not get distracted because I don't want I want to be able to give them the full attention. You know. And same right. thing, email. If I want to respond to an email, I want to get that full attention. And I definitely, I haven't done, I've heard that blocking the calendar off a of thing. I haven't done it yet for email checks. I just kind of randomly do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do block my calendar off for pretty much everything. I mean, if I get my haircut today, so I have it blocked off of that just because I'm going to be gone for in that haircut time. I might be able to respond to my team and I don't want them to think of Nord, you know, Nord or anything like yeah. that. Um, but I want to be able to give whoever I'm referring to that full attention. I think that's important. And that even starts with, you know, if if I go into a meeting with our tech team, I'll leave my, we have our comfort room here at our office here. I'll leave my cell phone and a thing because I don't want, need no distraction. So our comfort room is almost becomes like the um, our training room or where we're meeting almost becomes like a, like a CIA um, kind of um, black hole. Everybody leaves the phones out in their room. You don't need it in, in here. <laughs> so <laughs> no phones allowed in here because we don't need distractions. We need to focus right, on right. It's so easily we're as as visionaries and entrepreneurs we're so easily distracted. Um, so it's but, but anyway, I know we've been talking for a while. So I want to know um, wh where can people find you? They want to if they they listen to this and say, hey, you know, I'd love to chat with Mike or send him a quick email or something. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, okay. Lowry, um, not as active as I once was on there. Trying to get better at that as I continue to work on the business because I've made great relations. That's how we got connected. Yeah. Um, so it's LinkedIn. Mike L O W R Y. So yep, L -O -W -R -Y. Okay. And then yeah. uh, our website, we have two websites right now, technically. It's okay. Signal88.com. Um, and then there's, if you go to, there's a location on there and then there's a contact on there for, I'm under Tulsa. I think I'm, I'm on a Little Rock also, but Tulsa has a bunch of, I mean, it actually has our phone number on there too. Okay. Um, and then, new coming out the website's out now what we're transitioning to the new brand at like really this month um, it's gonna be teamsignal.com okay that's great awesome well mike i want to thank you i know we spent like a good hour normally i even what's less but there's just so much good conversation here um i want to thank the people who are listening i want to encourage everyone to that if they like it to share it um if you you know, uh, tell somebody if you, you know, if you, if you heard something that you like, obviously promote us again, Mike, I want to thank you. And uh, until next time, this has been another episode of leaders who scale. And that wraps up another episode. 
thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at leaderswhoscale.com. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class services and cutting-edge tools that help businesses grow and succeed.